Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. The Prolific Writer Podcast, episode number 47. Rachel Aaron stops by the show. Are you ready to write your face off? Let's go. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast, where speed's the name of the game. Follow an indie author and publisher and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on writing fast, writing often, and writing well. So you can do the same. Here's Ryan. Well, hello, hello, hello. This is your prolific writer podcast host, Ryan J. Pelton. I am so glad that you are here. I am so pumped. You can hear it in my voice. Rachel Aaron has stopped by the show. And if you don't know who Rachel Aaron is, you're going to learn very, very quickly. She is the cult indie icon figure of writing fast, the epiphany, the revelation of how to write fast, 2K to 10K, a book she wrote years and years ago that just took the indie writing community by storm of how to write fast, how to write often, how to write well. And she has taught us how to do that in her book. And she continues to crank out the books and the words and the things. And so welcome to my podcast. And this is the podcast dedicated to writing fast, often and well. And Rachel Aaron is coming on to show you how to do that and talk about that. And that's not the only thing we talk about today. And you're going to love this interview. Uh, She talks about just her writing journey, her career. She's been writing a long time. She writes sci-fi and fantasy and just how, how she does it and how she continues to to just write great books and write stories that people like to read. And and you're going to just glean so many insights, valuable writerly sage advice, truth. So get out a pen, get out a pencil, get out a smartphone or device or some kind of way of communicating and remembering things and applying things because you're going to have a lot to apply to your writer's toolbox. And so I'm, I'm really, really excited to share this, 
this interview with you. And we're really glad that you found us, however you found us, however you're listening on the train, maybe working out, maybe in the car, maybe making dinner. However, the, the sounds of my voice are coming to into your earbuds. Really glad that you have stopped by the Prolific Writer Podcast. And, and I'm just so thankful and so grateful constantly. Just great reviews, great comments, people asking great questions. And I wanted to just highlight, if you're listening to this show, it's, it's, it's November uh, 9 when we're going to launch this live. And, and, and this is NaNoWriMo month and National Novel Writing Month. And that's where people take up the task, the mission, the adventure of writing 50,000 words in a month, a rough draft of a novel. And there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world uh, taking on this challenge. So uh, you might be one of those. And I know it's a popular thing. And I'm actually doing uh, NaNoWriMo this year uh, with my son. My son, uh, my oldest son has decided that I need to write a children's book, a book that he wants to read. And he's very specific of what that book's going to be about. And so he gave me all the ideas. We we kind of hashed out the ideas and, and wrote out an outline. And we were writing two children's books, two short children's books, chapter books, probably ages seven to 12 ish. Um, if you have kids in that, in that range and they're kind of uh, adventurer, Indiana Jones, kind of fun action adventure stories that just have a lot of, a lot of fun characters and a lot of action and mystery and, and all kinds of stuff. So, uh, hope you liked us. So I'm doing NaNoWriMo cranking out the words, um, doing pretty well. Um, yeah, just getting those words in and, uh, and adding in those words and, and hopefully we'll have something at the end of this month, uh, some kind of rough draft, some kind of thing, some kind of, kind of, I don't know. Some we'll, we'll see, but it, it's, it's going to come and we're going to, we're going to get it edited and we're going to get it polished and we're going to share it with the world. So I'm looking forward to that. So if you're doing national Novel Writing Month. Just want to encourage you. This is a great episode to keep you encouraged and keep you writing and uh, and just keep on going. And, and hopefully um, things are going well. So without further ado, here is Rachel Aaron. Never has the story of the old glory needed well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Prolific Writer Podcast. Uh, I am so privileged today to have Rachel Aaron on the show. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of background. She's going to fill in the blanks for us. But Rachel Aaron lives a lovely, nerdy, bookish life in Athens, Georgia, with her seven-year-old son, loving husband, and obese wiener dog. Other than her own books, the internet knows her best for writing very fast. We're going to talk about that. To find out exactly how fast, read a sample chapters, go to rachelaron.net. I'll put that in the show notes. She also writes action-packed romantic science fiction under the name Rachel Bach, which we'll talk about too. That sounds fun. And uh, Rachel is just an all-around great girl, and she's done a lot for the indie community. So I just want to say hello, Rachel. Uh, welcome. Uh, say hello to everybody. And if there's anything I missed, let me know. No, it sounds like you got just about everything. Um Hi, I'm Rachel Aaron. I am the author of three series. Uh, my first two, my first is a fantasy called The Legend of Eli Mompress, which is through Orbit Books. My second, which was my Rachel Bach series, which starts with Fortune's Pawn, and that is romance, romantic science fiction, though it's, uh, there's a lot of shooting. There's definitely, uh, it's definitely very action-y, action-y science fiction about a powered armor mercenary and all the things that go wrong with her poor, poor life. And, um... My current series, which is indie, which I actually just finished the fifth book of yesterday, 
um, is um, the Heartstroker series, which starts with nice dragons finish last. And it's about dragons in Detroit. Very magical future Detroit. <laughs> well, that sounds interesting. I don't know if that's a metaphor or if that's, you know, uh, just a fantasy. So, um, but uh, we are so glad to have you on. And, and one of the interesting things about you, Rachel, is that while you've written all these fiction books, the one thing that kind of blew up is this little book you wrote called 2K to 10K. And uh, it, it was funny. I was actually, Oh, yeah. I, I also wrote that one. Yeah, right. I also wrote that one. Right, right. <laughs> it's kind of like a cult classic. Like, that's how I define it in kind of the indie space. Like, I literally have had at least five people say, hey, you need to read that book. And um, I was looking up the date and I had no idea, but it was 2012 when you wrote this book um, about writing fast. And it's really what our, our show's about because we really believe that fast and quality aren't opposite uh, things and uh, want to encourage writers just to continue to you know grow in their craft and, and, and do consistent work and all that. Um, and it really had an impact on me because I was kind of learning how to write. I started publishing some things and I came along across that book and it really just kind of blew up a lot of myths that I had about writing and writing fast and all of that. And so I want to talk a little bit about that and then we'll, we'll get into also your fiction as well. Um, and um, why? So what was kind of the, the genesis uh, of that book of wanting to write kind of this book about productivity, writing fast, kind of, you know, uh, blowing up a lot of the myths that, that kind of float around that you can't write fast and you can't write good at the same time. So talk a little bit about that. All right. Well, it actually started, as you said, the book came out in 2012, but the blog post, I believe, is from like 2010, 2011, because it started with a blog post, which, by the way, is still on my blog. Um, if you just Google Rachel Aaron, 2K to 10K, it'll take you right to the blog post and that's all free and will be forever. It's just up on the, so if you just want to like see what the book's kind of about, obviously the, I have, um, the book itself, which is a nice kind of a short little book about the nuts and bolts of writing quickly, um, is available on Amazon and other ebook retailers and is now available in print and is an audio because I can't stop apparently, <laughs> uh, can't stop messing with this thing. But um, I didn't actually set out to write a writing advice book. I actually felt very um, – I was – you know, I'd only been writing at that point for about five years. And I still – and I just – I only had one series out. And I didn't feel like I was in a position to give anyone advice. Uh, I was still learning my own craft and that kind of thing. But – so it was never – I never like – it wasn't that I set out to write this thing. But what happened was I was in the middle of my fourth Eli book, which was for traditional publishing. So there was a very hard deadline. And I just had a baby. And my whole life was a, was a complete wreck. I was paying a sitter four times a week so I could write. And uh, so I was paying for my writing time, like an hourly rate. <laughs> and I was desperate to get work done. Um, but the deadline was approaching and I just wasn't – I wasn't getting my work done. Like I was, I was just slogging through the text. It felt like chopping down a tree with my teeth to get through this thing. And, um, and I'm like, what is wrong? Cause it's the fourth book in a series. You know, I knew my characters, I knew my plot. I just couldn't get the writing. It was like banging my head on against the wall. And I'm like, this is so stupid. And one day I was in the middle of this scene and it was, it was an argument. It was an argument scene. Like nothing was happening, but these two characters are arguing. And I just rewrote the scene and rewrote the scene. And I was working like two days in the same 2000 words. I was so mad. And finally I just closed my laptop and I got out my notebook. And I just wrote down very fast, very shorthand, what they, what I wanted, like what I wanted from the scene and what they needed to say. I'm like, Miranda wants this to happen. Bandage wants this to happen. How do we get there? You know? And I just, I just started working out the argument with no, there was no, you know, 
there was it wasn't even dialogue it was just shorthand of the back and forth of the argument i basically sketched the frame of the argument and that was the problem because i didn't actually know what they were fighting about but i was so busy with all the other parts of writing with the descriptions and the characters that i kept getting lost in my own work and once i took that out and worked on the part that i was actually having a problem with i fixed the whole thing in about 30 minutes and then i sat down and i just wrote the whole scene like in an hour it was just bam it was just done and i was like Whoa. And that was the beginning. That was the genesis. And once I figured out, I, once I figured that out, I started writing down what every scene was going to be about before I actually sat down to write the scene. And, um, and that's really the entire, I would say the secret, not that it's really a secret of 2K to 10K, is know what you're going to write before you write it. Just like if you were going to paint a picture, you wouldn't just sit down with oils and paint. You would sketch what you were going to paint. So that you'd know, is this guy's arm too long? Is this bridge in the wrong place? You know, and also when you're doing things very, very quickly and loosely, I, I just use a spiral notebook that I buy from Walmart during back to school. I just buy a giant stack of them, use them all year. They're like a dollar. They're great. And, but anyway, you, um, when you're, when you're, when you're just writing out very quickly, and again, I'm not doing description. I'm not doing transitions. I'm not doing dialogue. I'm just writing. This is what happens in this scene. There is a sword fight. Like for example, there's a sword fight. I'm like, who does what? This person stabs that person. This person faints. I just just do everything very, very quickly. Just so I, just so I have an idea in my head what's going to happen. That way, if something is stupid and I have to erase it, all I've lost is like two or three minutes of like writing things down in a notebook as opposed to like four or 500 words. And um, once I started doing that, and like, for example, another thing is descriptions. I hate making up descriptions on the fly. So I'll sit down and describe what something looks like very briefly before I get all poetic about it. And that helps me write descriptions much more quickly. Um, and all of this stuff kind of worked together. And once I did that one thing, once I started just sitting down, taking five minutes before I start writing and just say what's going to happen in this scene and how it's going to happen. And, and I've also started doing what I want from the scene because it's important to know what you want a scene to do so that you know if the scene is actually working because you can have a great scene that does nothing you want it to do and that's never going to be a good scene because it's not serving its point in the story. So I'll also do that. But I just get a good idea of what I'm going to write. And once I have that, I sit down, I bang it out, and it's so much easier. It's just stupidly, stupidly easier. And, um, and people always say, oh, well, she wrote it fast. Can't be good. And that, I, that, that is my number one thing that makes me like the angriest in the world. I like to think that I'm a very calm person, that I don't get mad a lot. <laughs> but that just makes me see red because it's so stupid. I mean, I'm a professional author and a lot of people who use my process are also professional authors. Why would we bother writing fast if we were writing crap? That is just a waste of our time. You know, this process, all you're doing is getting your thoughts in order. Mm -hmm. And... By doing this one step, I cut my, I, I doubled my write my words per hour. I doubled my writing just flat out, just straight up doubled it. Some days I went way better, but I doubled almost everything I did. And um, to this day, and I've actually gotten pretty lazy now. I only, um, I only write about six hours a day, and uh, full time. So mm -hmm. six hours sounds like a lot. I know to a lot of people, but I used to do eight. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I now set time aside to do other things that I have to do and. Um, but I still routinely get about seven to 8,000 words in it every day. And, uh, that's pretty awesome. That's mm -hmm. pretty great rate. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Uh, so as you were kind of, you know, 
realizing like this is a better way, you know, if I'm going to make it, if I'm going to keep writing these books, you know, I, I had a baby, I got all these things going on. I really have to maximize my time. Like, was there a point where you realized, like, did you start keeping track um, where you're going, oh, wow, this is a lot more words than I realized. I mean, where there's a point where yes. you actually started tracking all that to see that, man, this is like a lot faster and a lot better. Yeah. Um, actually, in the blog post, I talk about that. So when I figured out this first step of sketching stuff out, um, after that, I kind of got the bug, right? Because once you start writing that fast, it's it's like an addiction because you just come off every day feeling like the champion of the world. You're like drunk on writing and you want to go faster and faster because when you're going at a good pace, it almost feels like you're reading your own book, but you get to decide everything mm-hmm. and it's really fun. So I started keeping track of what I was doing because I was noticing that there were some days that were really good and other days that were still really hard and where I wasn't getting a lot of words. And so I was like, well, what's going on? And so I started tracking my writing and sp- I just had a spreadsheet, just a table in the back of my Scrivener file where I tracked how long it took me, how long I wrote for, how many words I wrote and where I was writing because I would write at home and I would also write in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And I discovered and uh, I discovered that I did my best writing in the afternoons in a coffee shop where there was no internet to distract me because mm-hmm. they have one of those wirelesses you have to ask the password every day and I just never <laughs> asked the password and so I just didn't get internet and that really really helped for obvious reasons mm-hmm. but the um, what was really great about that was again I was paying a sitter so I just instead of buying time in the morning I bought time in the afternoon and that would that right there also helped also, um, if you are looking to write professionally, I highly, highly, even if you're not, even if you're perfectly happy with your word count, I still highly recommend tracking your writing. If for no other reason than, than so you know for your own math how long it takes you to finish mm-hmm. a book. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge, being able to estimate your own time and your own production schedule is a huge part of being able to run a profitable writing business. Mm-hmm. You need to know about how long it's going to take you to write yep. stuff. So just, just throwing that out there. But yeah. so I, I, I started tracking all my time. And once I did that, then I discovered there were definitely days where I was writing way lower than normal. And I started looking at those days and be like, what went wrong? Like, what was wrong with that day? That should have been a good day. And it turned out those were the scenes that I wasn't excited about. Those were just kind of the, the workaday scenes of just getting through the story. And that's a warning bell right there because at the scene I'm not excited about, how can I ask a reader to be excited about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I call it a workaday scene, why is it in my book? Mm-hmm. And and these are perfectly fine scenes. These are functional, good, nothing really wrong with them scenes. They just mm-hmm. weren't exciting or fun. Mm-hmm. So the next step I did after I started sketching out my scenes in my notebook and after I started tracking my time was I started getting myself excited about every scene I wrote. If I was going to write a scene that day during the time when I was like doing my little work at my little sketch out of my notebook of what was going to happen. I asked myself, what is cool about this scene? What mm-hmm. is it exciting? Why is it in the story? Mm-hmm. What is dramatic and that is happening here? And I got myself pumped. And if there wasn't anything there, then I invented something or I changed the scene. Mm-hmm. I added, and this made my books so much more tense and so much more exciting. And it's way easier to write a tense and exciting book than it is to write a book that has boring bits. Mm-hmm. And so that again, really improved my writing. And as a result, I went from writing about 2000 words in four hours to writing five to 6,000 words in four hours. And, um, but I went from writing about 2000 words in four hours to writing five to 6,000 words in four hours, sometimes up to seven and eight. And then 
when I would do an extra stretch, when I'd write two hours at home after the baby went to bed, um, and my husband was there to help me, I was getting 10,000 words a day in six hours of writing. Some days I would get um, more. I, I, I got like 13,000, and my, my record, my absolute record is 15,000 words in one day. And though that day was cheating, because it was at the very end of my science fiction series, my Paradox series, with um, my, power, my Powered Armor Mercenary, and that was the... Um, it was the end of the book. It was the end of the series. And I was going to finish that sucker that night. So I just sat down and I did it. It took me about 13 hours. I wrote 15,000 words. And they were all awesome because I knew exactly what I was writing. And when you know exactly what you're going to write and the words are just flying out of your fingers, that's some of the best writing I ever do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just pure awesome, just pouring out. Mm-hmm. Because it's exactly why you wanted to write this book in the first place, mm-hmm. I believe. So... No, I think it's yeah, really great. Th- this is really great. I um, now I hear you saying this is interesting because you're, you're talking about an outline, but it, you're talking about very minimal, m- minimalist outline. You know, few few ideas, few yeah. ideas there. Um, it's less it's less of an outline because people say you say outline and people think plot outline. Right, right. But honestly, this really isn't about plot. It's it's more like reading. It's like if you look at a script and it's just mm-hmm. dialogue and blocking. That's mm-hmm. really what more what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll just say you know I'll, I want I'll have like you know, character, dial, uh, character, what they say, other character, what they respond. Mm-hmm. And I'll go back and forth and just figure out the flow of the scene. Or if they're doing, if there's no dialogue and it's all like, you know, sneaking into a castle, mm-hmm. I'll just sort of write out, they do this and then this happens and then they mm-hmm. do this. And just very, it's like blocking a stage mm-hmm. um, for your actors. And just by, by keeping it very minimal, because again, you don't want to start writing your book in your notebook. That's not mm-hmm. what this is about. Right. Save that creativity for the laptop. You know, mm-hmm. This is just to get the idea of the scene in your head mm-hmm. and to kind of know in advance before you start writing where people are standing, who's saying what, why you're writing the scene, what's the point. And having all that in your head, not only – it's kind of like you already wrote the scene and now you're just writing it again but better, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But you only have to actually do the work of the writing once because the hardest part of writing is choosing the right words. It's the execution. It's mm-hmm. the actually taking what's in your head and transmuting it into words. Mm-hmm. And so if you the clearer that picture you've got in your head, the easier that process is. The easier it is to execute taking what you want to happen and actually making it happen in the text. Mm-hmm. No, this is good because I think there's that 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 battle between the you know discovery pantser writer versus the outline writer versus the you know plotting where you're you're kind of almost in the middle ground saying you don't have to have a ton down but you're also going to be able to write faster and you're going to still be able to let your creativity go wild and and I think there's there's kind of those those two camps well if I'm I'm a pantser and then I write stuff down it's just going to confine me if I'm you know an outliner and then I just do discovery writer, well I'm just going to be lost and I, and I think nobody's really a pure discovery writer I think because you always have characters you have ideas you have things even if it's just in your head um, you know mm-hmm. there's there's a place you want to go but I I really like kind of what you're saying, because I know for me, I, I don't like to have the 10,000 word outline or, you know, it just, it's more confining. Like it's not fun anymore. I'm just the books already on the page, you know, it's, you know, but to, to really find the characters and go, Oh, that's interesting. That went over there. And, and I loved also one other thread you mentioned. Um, and I was just reading a book. Uh, I think it's called story Trump's structure. I think it's by Stephen James or Steve James. Um, and he was talking about really encouraging people to think about, 
you know, discovery writing. But he says the way you do that is you ask a lot of questions of your scenes. And so you're asking like, is this cool? Does this work? Is this exciting? Or so as you're writing, you're kind of going like, does this really work? Like it's, it could be a good scene, but maybe it's not a great scene or maybe it's just confusing or, you know, and you're just constantly asking questions as you go. Like, is, is this working? Is this, are the motivations right? Would that character really do that? You know? Um, and then it kind of helps you kind of, you know, iron it out, change things if you need to. Uh, but I really like that. Oh yeah. Well, that's actually, well, I am a, I am very, very, very much a plotter. That's just my personality. Mm-hmm. I like to be organized. I like to know what's happening. I get very nervous if I don't know what's going to go on. I have to stop and figure it out. And, um, much to the chagrin of my husband, if we're say on vacation, you know, <laughs> no, we can't just make something up. I have to stop and figure it out. Right. Um, uh, but the, uh, uh, my method it works for both. I have both uh, pantsers and plotters who use 2K, 10K and love it. And it really is about finding what works for you. Right. Everyone climbs the mountain in their own way. I don't believe there's any one true way of writing. I've never met two authors who write exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, though, even though I am a hardcore plotter, I always ask all of those questions because one of the secrets that a lot of plotters I think don't realize is that no one has all of their best ideas at once. Right. When you sit down to plot your book, those may not be your best ideas for the book. You can – I always, always come up with something better and drastically shift the plot. I've never in my life had a book that has stuck to the plot all the way mm-hmm. – that I wrote down all mm-hmm. the way through. Like I just see that plot as like my first best idea and my roadmap. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm in the middle of the book, often I'll be like, wait, what was I thinking? That was an incredibly stupid idea and I'll just <laughs> change things. And I go back and I fix all my outlines to show the changes because, you know, the changes will often change all the other parts of the plot because mm-hmm. it's everything's connected. But, um, no, it, it, I find that the asking questions, especially, again, knowing what you want from your scenes, knowing where you're going in a mm-hmm. book, knowing what your themes are, mm-hmm. knowing what's important in this book you are writing. Because whenever you write a book, you're not just writing people doing stuff. Mm-hmm. You're making a statement about something. And if you don't know what that statement is, then it's going to come out jumbled because you don't you didn't you didn't know what you were talking about. Right. But if you kind of take the time to figure out what is this book actually about? Is it about like for example my Heartstarker books, which are about dragons, mm-hmm. are really about um the how hard it is to choose compromise and to choose peace and how violence is the easy unsophisticated answer to a lot of problems and how it never makes anything better. Mm-hmm. They're very they're actually very past books and um, you know at any point my main character Julius could have saved himself enormous amounts of trouble by just killing someone (laughs) that would have solved his problem but it was always the worst answer and I always made him make a better one and by knowing from the beginning that this was a book about pacifism I was able to work those themes in very organically Mm -hmm. so it never came off preachy it always came off as this is the right choice and when Julius made it it made total sense and knowing that stuff before you get started mm-hmm. really helps you keep your characters consistent, keep your plots all working together. It comes off, it makes you, it really elevates your book when you actually know what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. Uh, so backing up just a little bit, I, I wanted to go back just to one thing that you said earlier too about um, tracking because uh, I, I think people will be very shocked um, when they start tracking to realize maybe we're not as prolific as we think we are. Um, I know that was kind of my story when I picked up your book, you know, in 2012 and realized, like, I thought I was fairly like, oh, I, I think I'm doing pretty well. And then I started tracking going, oh, I'm I'm not 
producing as much as I, I thought, especially with, you know, you have these book projects or you have editor deadlines and you have, and I like what you were saying about kind of a writing publishing business that you really need to know. Like I, I interviewed a guy who knows exactly, he needs 400, I think he said, I mean, this is very specific, 400,000, 30, 300 words per year is his goal. And it's like a thousand twenty nine a day or something. I mean, he has it nailed down in a, in an Excel spreadsheet to say, this is kind of my production that I need. That's, that's comfortable. That produces enough work, you know, and, and that's a variety of projects, obviously. Um, but I think tracking is really important. And I think it's kind of a built in accountability too to say, Hey, am I really taking this seriously? Like, you know, and oh, again, yeah. again, I know that, you know, everyone says, well, you have to write daily. If you don't, you know, dragons will come and eat you. But, um, but you know, you don't have to, but, but at the same time, like maybe you say per week, I need to hit a certain amount of words or per month. Um, and, and then, you know, sometimes you look at your, your schedule and you go, oh man, I, I haven't really produced much of anything. And, you know, I talk about being a writer, but I don't really write much. Um, I think that's really good. So, um, anything else you want to add to that as far as the tracking piece or how that's kind of helped you? And uh, do you do, yeah, much, um, do you do I, much of that anymore? Oh yes. Oh, I still, well, I moved away from the daily tracking because my writing has gotten so consistent now. I can peg it up. I'm going to write at least 5,000 words every day, mm-hmm. every day that I have a full writing day. I'm going to write at least um, at least 5,000 words. And that has been so consistent. And I often go over that, but on a bad day, I always hit 5,000. So I just say, assuming every day is a bad day, we're just going to assume 5,000 words a day. And, um, and I've used that number very well. And we actually use a Gantt chart system here because my husband was a programmer, and that's what programmers use, which basically says – Take however much time you think the novel is going to take and then double it. And that's mm-hmm. how much the novel is actually going to take. Mm-hmm. Because no matter how well you plan, no matter how prepared you are, there's going to be rewriting. There's going to be mistakes. Mm-hmm. There's going to be backtracking. You sometimes have to rewrite the whole thing. Sometimes you send it to your editor and she's like, rewrite the entire middle. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got to build in time, but you don't know how much time to build in. Um, Unless you know how much it takes you to write. There's mm-hmm. not a business in the world that doesn't keep records. Mm-hmm. There, you know, every bakery knows how long it takes to bake a cake. Mm-hmm. You know, every, every house painter knows how long it's going to take to paint a house. Mm-hmm. You have to know these numbers if you want to make writing your business. You have to know your own production schedule because if you don't, you're going to wind up in very bad positions. You know, I've been in a position where we need a book to come out. Uh, next April or the mortgage will not get paid in four months, you know, and I'd better know if I can make that. And I have to be able to say I can make that deadline or I can't. So we know how to rearrange things to get it done. And we actually, my husband and I uh, work together. He's my manager. Mm-hmm. And, um, we actually plan our production schedule two years in advance. And now you don't have to do this. Like I'm mm-hmm. a professional writer who's been doing this for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, gosh, 13 years now, geez. A while. I've been, mm-hmm. been here a while. Mm-hmm. And um, so I have, obviously, there's a lot more moving parts. I have like, you know, I've got audiobooks and I've got print editions to get out and I've got artists I work with on covers and I've got all this, this stuff that I have to organize. So it, it takes a lot more granular planning, granular planning. But even if you're just someone who is like, I want to be, my dream is to be a professional writer and you're working on your first book, keep track of that. You know, if you're like, I, I only have this much time to write, make sure you're actually using that time to write, you know, set yourself work time, basically. Mm -hmm. And if you can only get five hours a week, then 
get those five hours a week and make them count, make them awesome. You know, do everything you can to, to make those hours really work. Don't let people take those hours away from you. That's part of being a professional because there's nothing wrong with being a hobby writer. To be clear, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. But if your dream is to sell your books and make some money and make a living, you, that's a business. Mm -hmm. Anything where you're selling your time, that's business. Mm -hmm. And you, it will greatly behoove you and your life will be a lot easier if you treat it like a business right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Because I know a lot of authors who just sort of wrote a book just for fun and then they sold it and they, they didn't expect to sell it mm -hmm. or they published it and self-published it and it was, it was a success. And then suddenly – they have to be 100% of a business person <laughs> all at once. Right. And that's a very hard transition yeah. that I've seen a lot of big authors who I will not name just faceplant on, mm -hmm. just not do well at all. So yep. don't let that be you. Learn yeah, no, from our fails. I think that's, Learn just, from our fails. that's a subtle switch in our minds. But like, you know, if you're, if you do have any aspirations of, you know, those listening and you want to take it further, like do that now. I mean, think about production, think about two years from now, think about, you know, the five books you have in your head or a series or, you know, start just dreaming about that. Cause I think it starts, you start looking to the future rather than like, Oh, I just got to finish this one stinking book I've been working on since 83, you know? And, uh, but, but, you know, you're going, well, what's the next one? What's the next one? And, and I think yeah, that, that subtle shift is really helpful. Also looking into the future, at least for me, I find it very motivating mm -hmm. looking into the future. Whenever I'm depressed, actually, I sit down, I do the, my favorite kind of math, which is publishing math mm -hmm. where I say, okay, Rachel, what's coming out next year? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? And I look at it and I get all those ducks lined up in a row and I, I feel awesome. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm going to, yes, I'm going to make this work. And I go and I do it. Well, hey, I and, am, and that's just me again. That's just how I motivate. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so one more, I just, one more question kind of related to this. Cause I'm, I'm curious um, when you're, you know, I, I want to kind of get our, our audience kind of in your mind and your, you know, they're, they're hearing, okay, like, you know, six hours a day, you know, 5,000, 8,000, 10,000 words. Yeah. Um, you know, it can sound Again, very professional, author, professional, professional yes. author. You don't yes. have to do this right now. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about like, what does that draft like look like? I mean, is this just like an absolute piece of junk that has no, you know, chance of even seeing daylight at any point? I mean, how much, how much rewriting, how much editing, how much polishing are you doing? Are you doing that as you go? How, how is that, that kind of process? You know, you crank out 8,000 words in a day. Are you coming back the next day to, to clean it up a little bit? I mean, what, in a lot of your books, I, I, I noticed, you know, some fantasy ones that are like, you know, 500 plus pages. Um, that's a lot of words, obviously. Um, so talk a little oh, bit, yeah. a little bit about that. Cause I know, I know one thing that, that frustrated me early on was when I wrote so fast and I never looked at it is when I came back, it was such a overwhelming task to polish it and edit it and rewrite it that it just like almost, I just wanted to quit. So, so talk about that. Are we talking about just junky words or some decent words or somewhere in between? Um, well, I, I actually, I actually produce very clean drafts. Um, actually my editor at Orbit, uh, Davey Pillai, told me, and I will have this frame, I'll put, this will be on my tombstone, <laughs> that I, I turned in the cleanest drafts she'd ever seen. And I take enormous pride in that. Mm. Um, and part of that is because I am a plotter. I plot everything very carefully. When, there are, when I'm writing something and I realize it's bad, I will stop and generally speaking, go back and change mm. things, which a lot of people say you aren't supposed to do. Sure. But again, there are no rules in writing. Just do whatever works for you. Right. And for me, knowing things were wrong just nagged me so badly mm -hmm. I couldn't take it. I had to go fix them. And um, so as a result, I actually do go back and do a lot of editing all the way through. Generally speaking, if I write a scene and I'm feeling pretty happy about it, I won't 
go back and mess with things. But if I write a scene and I just really don't like it, I will trash that sucker. Because once you're writing fast, words become very cheap. Mm-hmm. And it's very – it's often much better to just trash the scene and try a whole new direction than to try and fix something mm-hmm. that you're really not happy with, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, So I turn in pretty clean drafts and my process generally goes – I will plot a book and I plot it chapter by chapter. Um, I also do a big – I do a big um, breakdown of everyone's, you know, I do all my characters and my motivations. And I get all my little, like, the stuff I'm going to need, mm-hmm. all my history and all that. I, I, I spend a lot of time pre-writing um, because that makes me feel very comfortable with the book. And then when I actually write the book, almost all of that changes. But because I already did all the thinking about it, the changes are often, even if they're big changes, they're pretty easy because I go, oh, well, I should have done it. These dragons should work this way. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to, like, make up something new it just I I realize how it should have been and I'll go back and change that and so by the time I get to the end of my first draft generally speaking it'll have a lot of problems but they're all problems I know Mm -hmm. and I'll have a big list of problems some of which I fixed and some of which I just put a giant note that says fix later and I'll and I actually have an entire chapter on editing into thinking where I go over this in detail so Mm -hmm. you know if this sounds like something good for you please go check that out but um what I do next is I, when it's time to edit, is I go down my list of problems and I arrange them kind of from biggest to smallest. And biggest problems are specifically problems that affect the most places in the book. Mm-hmm. The things that require the most work on my part. So even so, a giant problem could be I have to rewrite the ending. Mm-hmm. But that's actually a smaller problem than the main character's motivation is bad because that's every part of the book. <laughs> right. yeah. uh, and so I, what I will do then is I will go down and I will fix all those problems. I'll jump around the book fixing problems and I'll fix all the places where this one character is bad. And I'll fix all the places where this one plot point changed the events, the series of events. And then once that's done, I'll generally do one more quick edit where I just kind of go through and read the whole thing from start to finish. Because in, the, in that problem fixing edit, I, again, I was jumping all around. Mm-hmm. I don't just go back to page one and start. Um, then once that is done, I'll go back to page one and start. And sometimes, actually with this last book, I was so happy with it that I just skipped the problem edit and just started at page one because mm-hmm. I really didn't have any problems mm-hmm. that I that were big enough mm-hmm. to, to, to merit a big rewrite. But um, the hardest book I've ever rewritten was uh, my second uh, Paradox novel, my my sci-fi series i rewrote that book oh i had to be five times Mm -hmm. um because i just couldn't get it right and um, that was an enormous editing project because i had to kind of once i'd done all that work i had to go through and clean it all up Mm -hmm. and make sure everything worked together again and so Mm -hmm. that was huge Mm -hmm. so it really depends on the project but generally speaking that's my process okay and um if you but i think the number one advice i ever had to give to anyone about editing because again editing is part of writing mm-hmm. and everyone does it differently everyone approaches it differently and that's fine everyone thinks about their books differently everyone's mm-hmm. brain is different but the number one advice i could give about editing is to remember that it is part of writing mm-hmm. but it's also its own separate skill you have to practice being editing to get good at editing just like you have to practice writing to get good at writing right. and Lots of people get to their edit and they think they should just be able to do it. And then they get mad when they can't and when it's hard. But you've never edited before. By the time you get to an edit, you have had an entire book's worth of practice in writing. Mm-hmm. But you've never had to edit before. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, it's hard. It's something that is going to take time and patience and skill. 
So remember that editing is a skill. Editing is the production part of writing. That's the, and I mean that like a stage production. It's mm -hmm. where you're giving your, your big show mm -hmm. to your reader, where all the little bits have to come together and work perfectly as a whole. And where you've really got to nail that execution, where, you know, hopes no longer count. You have to actually put the words down mm -hmm. and, um, and make them work. And it can be very exciting. And editing is now my favorite part of writing because it's the part when I finally get that manuscript to where I want it. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, it, it is hard, but it's not scary. Mm -hmm. And it's totally doable. And if you just kind of learn to embrace it and be patient with yourself, editing can become your favorite part of writing too. Yeah. No, that's good. I, you know, I know, you know, I don't want to ever give advice that's, you know, this is the way you have to do it. But you did say something that I think I actually agree very much. So is if you see problems, you know, fix them before, you know, things get worse, because uh, I just wrote an article about this and, you know, kind of editing as you go in a sense, um, because when you get to the end and, you know, you've totally screwed up a plot point or a motivation. I mean, it's just, a, it's hard to fix all that or you end up rewriting, you know, thousands and thousands of words. So if you do catch it, you know, fix it right there. I mean, just even a kind of a quick little skim read, you know, you can pick up a lot of that stuff. And, um, I just found like doing this a lot. I think I have like 15 books out, whatever it's, it's, it's like you, you just go, yeah, if I don't do it that way, I'm going to like hate life later. And, you know, and if it's possible, and I think you're also hitting on what you said about kind of the skill of editing, it's learning how to find those things. It's not just because I think when people hear editing, all they think about is grammar and spelling, which are important. But you're talking about motivations, you're talking about plot points, you're talking about this doesn't work, this takes this way over here. It's it's learning to see some of those things like why would he do that? Why, you know, why did he? pull out the sword there and kill the dragon there. That doesn't make sense. You know, it's, it's, it's those kind of little things that you, you kind of get better at as you keep writing and as you keep practicing. Exactly. And it, and it does take a lot of practice and you have to be very self-critical, um, which is why I think a lot of people don't like it because mm -hmm. again, we start books with the absolute best of intentions. Yep. And a lot of times we just don't live up to them. And editing is where you get to, you have to draw the line and say, this has to be good or it's gone because, um, um, you know, if you want to be a writer that people will read and that people will go back to, you can't produce crap. Mm -hmm. You can't produce mediocrity. It has to be your best work every single time mm -hmm. because, you know, you're an artist and you're asking people to pay money for your art. And seeing a mistake and ignoring it is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. You have you, – these people, these readers deserve our absolute best. Mm -hmm. And if you can't give that, um, then why are you in this business? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what it's your book. You should care about it more than anyone on this planet, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, for me, that means a very, very, very strict standard of quality. If I have a plot point that doesn't make sense, it ain't going out the door until mm -hmm. it's until that that plot point is fixed, until I figured out how to make it work. And I, I have a saying, actually, which is it's late for six months, but it's bad forever. <laughs> so it is much better to yeah. be to be thorough and I also took a line from Blizzard, which is where it's, uh, you know, it's done when it's good. Mm -hmm. uh, that That's when it's done. Yep. And I don't, I absolutely, and I know that especially in indie publishing, there's a lot of pressure to publish very quickly. Right. But you will be much better and much happier and much more successful if you publish, a, if you take your time and do the books really well mm -hmm. and do them and make really quality products. Because that's how you're going to build a loyal audience that will follow you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. No, it's good. I, I love what you're all you're saying here because I think you're, you're, you're saying, you know, you can write fast and you ask, you can write quality. 
you don't have to choose one or the other, but we're, we're still after quality. I mean, in the end, it's not oh, just, yeah. you know, word count and Hey, I hit 50,000 words today. Um, which is fine, but, but yeah, saying, Hey, we're, people are going to read this eventually and Lord willing, they will. Um, and you know, you want to make it as best as you can. And then, you know, I think, you know, one thing is, is not also obsessing over that wherever you are today, you know, you can get better. You just got to keep practicing. And you know, that first, oh, yeah. I, first I get book, better with every book. I'm yeah. still improving. Yeah. That first books, you know, it's, some say it's just getting all the junk out of your mind and you know, all the things you want to say and kind of moving on and going, okay, I'm done with that. Let's go to the next one. Um, and, and then, yeah, just improving. And like you said, you know, learning how to edit, seeing, asking those questions. When you start, a lot of those questions aren't in your mind. You know, you're not asking like, oh, is this work? Is this motivation right? I mean, you're just kind of going, is it is the spelling correct? You know, is the, you know, where do I make a paragraph break? You know, I mean, it's like very, you know, wooden kind of, questions, but that's not the story. That's not the big picture. That's not the why readers read books. It's not because of perfect grammar. It's because it's a good story. Um, exactly. And um, you can also kind of, um, you, you know, a lot of times people are like, uh, why is that book so popular? It's so bad. Mm-hmm. 50 Shades of Grey. It's a fantastic example of this. I tried to read it. Um, it was just not my thing. Um, I didn't like large parts of it at all, but I have lots and lots of friends who loved it. They mm-hmm. loved it so much. And I was like, how could you like it? It had all these problems. And they were like, yeah, but I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. So that just kind of shows you that yeah. you don't have to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. You just have to have something people really love. Sure. Obviously, it's much easier if your book is as good as you can make it. But when you're doing all of this thinking and this editing, it's important to never lose sight of what makes your book fun, why you mm-hmm. wrote this book in the first place, mm-hmm. that that thing that passion and that fire that's in your story that makes your story cool and unique. And, um, you know, that character you love, that, that, that world, you just can't get enough mm-hmm. of, you know, um, there are parts of my books that I still go back and reread because I love them and I just love being there mm-hmm. and I want to go back to that. And then I inevitably see something I messed up and I'm like, Oh mm-hmm. damn it. But, um, you know, I, that, that's the best feeling and that's mm-hmm. what you want to do. Cause never forget that we're putting on a show here. Mm-hmm. Writing is uh, not a performance art, but we're still – and that's very important. It's one of my favorite sayings actually that writing is not a performance art. You can edit something a thousand times if you have to to make it good. So never worry about it. Just do whatever do whatever you think is going to work and then fix it later. You can always fix it later. Yeah. Until you press publish, you can always fix it later. Yeah. And um, and even then sometimes. But um, the important thing to remember is that you're, you, you're always doing this for other people if you're writing to be read. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're writing for yourself, you are an audience of one. Right yep. for you. If you're writing for a, hopefully a much bigger audience, um, then remember that you've got to entertain these people. And that book, you know, it has to be good. It has to make sense. It has to be fun and interesting. It can't be a, a copy of someone else's book. Mm-hmm. And readers are harsh. Readers are, you know, this isn't someone being like, oh, this is an author's baby. I must read it and be <laughs> kind to it. No, this is a person who's like, has paid. You know, two ninety nine or four ninety nine or nine ninety nine mm-hmm. for a book. They want to be entertained. Damn it! Yeah. You better deliver. Yeah, so. especially in our day and age with you know binging and people mm-hmm. don't have time and you know it's got to catch their attention. Um, so uh, th- these are usually questions we ask at the beginning, but you've you know offered so much value and advice and and on the writing stuff. Um, but I always love I love hearing. You know, you're you're more than just you know the 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 two k to ten k girl. Um, you, you've written a, a lot of. I mean, you're known for your fiction, and uh, I wanted to just hear a little bit about kind of your influences. You know, you're you're obviously writing about 
you know, some sci-fi and, and fantasy and dragons and things kind of talk, talk us a little bit about kind of your origin story as far as growing up and, and why you write what you do and, and kind of what have been some of your influences to, to kind of bring you to where you are today. Well, I was one of those people who always wanted to be a writer. Um, I can't actually remember a time when I didn't want to be a writer. I grew up in a very nerdy household. My mom and my dad were both really into science fiction and fantasy. Uh, I watched all of Babylon five in like, elementary school, you know, or maybe middle school. I can't remember sometime around that time. I've always, we've always been a Star Trek house. Um, when I was a teenager, I got really, really, really into manga and anime and I, I'm still into manga and anime. I actually just watched some one piece this morning. I've been watching one piece for like 13 years. It's like the longest series ever. I'm still not caught up to <laughs> current episodes, but I love it. And I love very dramatic things. I love things that have heart, things that have meaning. Um, I actually, I'm not, people always like, oh, you write fantasy, you must love Game of Thrones. I actually hate Game of Thrones mm. because I find it excessively depressing. Mm. And real life is very depressing, especially right now <laughs> um, with everything going on. And I want to read, I like to read things that are uplifting and have mm. heart and are sincere. And, and, and that more than anything has influenced my work. All of my books are sincere. And I like to think fundamentally uplifting. That doesn't mean bad things happen. Lots of bad things happen. Sure. But at the end of the day, I like writing about people who are fundamentally good people. And they may be flawed, and it may take them a while to get there. But at the end of the day, my main characters are people with heart, which is why I don't really like – I've never gotten – personally, I've never gotten into grimdark mm-hmm. or anything like that just because I don't want to wallow in the mud and the filth mm-hmm. of life. I, I like my people to be heroes. Mm-hmm. I like happy endings. Mm-hmm. And – um so that's been a big influence on me and a lot of the stories that I really gravitated toward, especially kind of in that, that 90s. I really was a huge fan of like the 90s fantasies, mm-hmm. um, which were these – where the worlds were beautiful and big and sprawling. I was, I was a giant Wheel of Time fan. Mm-hmm. I loved just the, 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 luxur- the luxuriousness of it and the, the, the giant stories and things that were truly epic. And that's why I like anime too because anime is often very epic and very dramatic and I like these really I like things that have punch I don't really like mm-hmm. a subtle story so if you like like subtle navel gazing my books are not for you mm-hmm. um, I like things with drama I like things that move fast I like mm-hmm. things that are fun mm-hmm. and um, I like to have fun while I'm writing and I one of the greatest compliments I ever got from a reviewer was that they could feel the fun that I was having coming through my text mm-hmm. and I want that's what I want as a writer mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I just read pretty much anything genre that happened through the 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. I saw and was influenced by. I was really kind of a sponge mm-hmm. in all of that because again, I was very fortunate to have a very, very geeky, nerdy family and geeky, nerdy friends. And I, I met my husband at anime club. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's been a wonderful time. It really has. But see, now it's cool. You know, it used to be like that. Oh, was, now it's see, yeah. now I'm cool. Yeah, you used to That's get beat up. Now, yeah, yeah, now you're like, what? That's awesome. You know, uh, I used to hide all my anime right. stuff. You I know, know, it's funny. Uh, so one question I love to ask uh, authors that I have on the show is, when was kind of your aha moment? Like when you said, you know, I, I think I can really, I can write, I can do this, I want to do this. I mean, even before you were a kid, but like later on, I mean, was there a, a book that came out? Was there a moment where you just said like, this is it. This is, this is kind of my calling, my, my deal. Was there a moment like that? Oh yeah, actually a very specific moment. Um I again, I I always wanted to be a writer and but I got all, all the way through college without doing any real writing. Like I did some stuff here and there, but I never really 
was serious about it. And then one day I just graduated, got my English degree at UGA. And again, because I was going to be a writer, so English mm-hmm. major seemed really <laughs> obvious. In hindsight, actually not a good degree for being a writer. If, you, if you're looking to go to college and you want to be a writer, get a degree in something you're interested in, like right. history or poli sci or something. Don't mm-hmm. go with English. English is all about how to write papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I wrote, I'm pretty damn good at writing papers now, but that right. was not what I went there for. I not was not meant to be an essayist. Anyway, mm-hmm. the um, I just got out of college and I'd gotten a job as like a graphic designer secretary at a church, and it was a lot of sitting around doing nothing, and I was just sort of wasting my time. And I had I didn't have to school anymore. I was doing nothing really but working and playing Warcraft. And uh, <laughs> I saw just randomly I saw a Hemingway quote because I was still kind of reading about being a writer, but I wasn't actually doing any writing. I saw a quote by Hemingway, and it's about the only thing Hemingway's ever said that I've agreed with which is that uh, those who say they want to be writers and aren't writing don't. Mm. And that, that hit me like mm. a punch in the face. Yeah. I was like, oh, that is me. And from that day, I started writing daily. Um, and I got really serious about it. And I wrote an entire novel um, that was a YA novel, and it was 220,000 words. Oh, wow. Which is way <laughs> And it got rejected by everyone. See, by this is... This is 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. So there was no indie publishing at this point. It was mm-hmm. it was New York or nothing. And I I got rejected by I think over 100 agents on that book. And I I edited it, I fixed it, I submitted again, got rejected again. Mm-hmm. I still love parts of that book by the way. I still think there was some awesome stuff in that book, but it was it was not a well put together book. It was not a good book. And so I was, I was working on another big – and it was a fantasy, and I was working on another big fantasy, and I just kind of got this idea about a thief talking his way out of prison by charming the door. Hmm. And I just sat down. I just wrote that scene that was in my head, and that was the very first scene of um, The Spirit Thief, which is the first book of The Legend of Emilia Mom Press. And that scene has been pretty much unchanged from that morning I wrote it. And it, it and when I wrote when I wrote that scene, I was like, "This is the book that's going to take me to New York. Mm-hmm. I, I know it. This is it." Mm-hmm. And I wrote it. And I wrote it a lot faster than I wrote the other one because it wasn't two hundred twenty thousand words long. It was like one hundred and thirty, <laughs> way better. And and that sure enough, I got I, I got that was the book that got me an agent. I got the call from New York, which is still the happiest day of my life. And I say that. As someone who has gotten married and has had a child, you know, sorry, family. Don't this say is the happiest day of my life. Yeah. <laughs> we'll keep that here. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the, the, um, my son's going to grow up and hear these things <laughs> one day and he's going to be like, what? Really? I'm sorry. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I worked so hard for it. I'd yeah. wanted it for so long at that point. I've been trying to get published because I got my, uh, I got my, my book deal, my first book deal I got in 2008. And I've been working on getting published pretty much every day for four years at that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was, it was a long slog. So mm-hmm. it's not an overnight success story here. No. Right. And I, I finally got it. And even then I had to rewrite the book like three times. So mm-hmm. for my editor and for my agent, but it worked. And ever since then I've been, and I actually had a really cruddy job at a time. I was working at a very small internet company doing building websites, doing mm-hmm. CSS and graphic design and I didn't have any insurance. I was getting paid 30000 a year. you know. So when the book deal came in, I just quit. Mm-hmm. I just quit my job because I, I was like, there's no point. And I don't have time to be working this cruddy job. I'm going to pursue my dream. And mm-hmm. 
I was very lucky in that I lived in a very cheap town. I was able to do that, but that's kind of how it happened. That's great. I love that story. You know, I I hear just, you know, diligence working, just, you know, that quote. I mean, I I think every day, every week I run into someone and you talk to them and it's like, Hey, I want, I want to be a writer. Well, what have you written today? Nothing, you know, haven't finished anything. Haven't, there's just something about like, it kind of hits you like, Oh, well, if I'm really serious about this, you know, it's, it's just putting in the work. And, and I love the, you know, you're not an overnight success. Those really don't exist. I think everybody, they don't, I, I think people see the, you know, one hit wonder, they see the big thing, but they don't realize that people have been writing for years and years and years. Um, and uh, so with the, the highlight, we always like to talk about the low light. So what was kind of your biggest writing publishing failure? Well, the I would say the, the point in my life when I was certain that I was going to have to go get a job at Walmart um, was uh, when I decided to go indie. And um, I did it because I would had a lot of um, – I'd met a lot of indie authors who had – Far fewer sales were making four times than I was making, and I was a little upset about that. And I'd had some arguments with my publisher, and I was like, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to go on my own. And I'd already written Nice Dragons Finished Last, and it's a very different book. And I always write books that are kind of a blend of genres. Like with The Legend of Eli Mompress, it's it's an epic fantasy but with urban fantasy pacing. Mm -hmm. And Fortune's Pawn is hardcore military science fiction with kissing. Mm -hmm. And so – my publisher would always – and I would always have these huge conflicts about where I should be shelved because mm-hmm. um, they wanted to box me into one genre. You're going to be one genre. And I'm like, no, this book is many things, and that's why it's interesting and different. And so I wrote Nice Dragons Finished Last, which is about a pacifist dragon in a future version of Magical Detroit. So it's kind of post-apocalypse where there's been – like magic has returned to the world and everything's different. So it's kind of, sci- kind of cyberpunk, kind of – kind of urban fantasy kind of post-apocalyptic but with dragons and it's just, it's weird it didn't fit anywhere and to this day by the way we have not figured out how to market this series <laughs> i have no idea people have no idea what to call it they mm-hmm. love it it's my best-selling best-rated series i've won like can't see behind me i've run like two rt awards mm-hmm. um you know it, it's been it, it's been uh it's been a fantastic series but people have no idea even audible who was my audiobook publisher, they have no idea where to shelve these things. Mm-hmm. I love Amazon because Amazon lets me shelve them like a whole bunch of places with the categories. Right. That's been great. I don't know why <laughs> bookstores don't do that more. But, um, but for the, so I, I, the first book, I decided to go indie and I put it out. I just put it out because I'd already finished it, mm-hmm. you know, and I put it out and it does really well. And I'm like, this is great. Now I'm just have to write the sequel. Oh, and I didn't know what I was doing for the sequel because I just written this book. I hadn't really given it a lot of thought. Right. As to where it was going. Mistake number one, when you write a series, know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Or else you'll um, – and I thought I knew where it was going to go, but I hadn't really done a lot of work on it. This is before I got really serious about planning, mm-hmm. and this is what taught me to be serious. And I, I spent two years on that book. I spent two years writing and rewriting and rewriting and fixing and throwing out – I probably wrote – 400,000 words that I threw away on that book because I just mm. couldn't get story right. And money was getting really, really tight because you, know, you, you don't publish, you don't eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was no advance for this book either. You know, fans were clamoring. I And I had not, I was seriously considering abandoning the series because I just didn't know what to do. And I, I hated the book and I hated the series and I was just so mad. <laughs> and finally, I just kept working on it until I figured it out. And 
that book is actually what most people consider to be one of the best books in the series now. Hmm. And um, which is One Good Dragon Deserves Another, the second in the series. But that was one of the hardest books I've ever written. And it, I can, again, completely change the plot and rewrote it probably three times. Mm-hmm. Um, and this wasn't like the second book of Fortune's Pawn where I was mostly just fixing – the plot stayed the same, but I was just fixing the way I delivered it. No, this was like complete plot changes. This is like totally different directions. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of rewrote large parts of the world. I redid a bunch of my, my metaverse and how magic worked. I, I, I changed a ton of stuff. And one book was already out, so I was very pinned in by what I could change. So it was it was some it was some uh, contortionism going on, but I did it. And once I figured that out, the series really came together. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that was a very scary year because, like I said, I had a I had a we had a, like a toddler. You know, he had to he was in daycare. My husband had just quit his job, uh, or my husband was trying to quit his job at the university because it was killing him mm-hmm. with the stress. And uh, it was a bad, bad, and we just kept getting sick. Like we just kept getting sick that year. It was just mm. a bad year, hmm. but we pulled it out and made it work. Yeah. And everything's awesome now. You're still here, still alive, still here. Yeah, no, thanks for for sharing that. I think that's part of the the journey too. Is you know, and I think the the fun. I don't call it fun. Maybe you didn't call it fun in the moment, but you know, you do have to try things. You have to experiment. You know, some things just aren't going to work, or you learn from your mistakes and you you move on. Um, oh yeah, so, I have an entire book that I wrote. With the best of intentions and then never published mm-hmm. because I just, I hated it. Yeah. I couldn't make it good. So as we, uh, we, we kind of wrap up uh, the show, I, I always like to do kind of what I call quick hit questions. And these are things uh-huh. that maybe um, books or movies or films or software or anything that, that kind of uh, might resonate with our audience, things that you find valuable now. Uh, so what's a must read fiction book and it can't be your own? Must read fiction book that can't be your own. Hmm. Well, if you like romance, I'm a giant romance reader. Um, actually, anything by Tessa Dare is fantastic. My she actually wrote one of my all time favorite romances ever, which is um, uh, the absolute. I think it's the, the absolute horrible, no good Mister Right, and it's actually a novella. And it was one of the first romances I ever read. And she packed more emotion and, and beauty into that. Freaking 40,000 word book that I've managed like an entire series. I'm so mad <laughs> at her because it was so good. How dare she be that good? <laughs> also, One Dance with the Duke is very good. But if you're, if romance isn't your thing, um, I highly recommend Ender's Game, which I'm sure everyone has uh-huh. read. But I absolutely it's, – it's famous for a freaking reason. Yep. Um, it is just so amazingly good. Um, although my favorite novel of all time in terms of like just a novel I go back – to over and over is the last unicorn by Peter Spiegel, which I think is one of the most beautiful books ever written. Okay. How about a nonfiction? It can be related to writing, publishing, business, anything, or nothing ooh, at ooh. all. Well, the most beautiful nonfiction book I ever read was The World Without Us. Okay. Which is um, about what would happen to our world if humans just vanished, if we just all poofed, if the rapture came or whatever. Mm-hmm. How our world would go back to its natural state. It's incredibly beautifully written. It's just, mm. and as someone who writes, you know, speculative fiction, it's really cool. Like what would break down first? Mm-hmm. How would the cities collapse? Super awesome. Totally recommended. Beautiful book for writing though. My favorite writing book of the moment, the one I personally learned the most from is John Truby's the anatomy of story. Oh yeah. Good one. Um, it's got little typewriter keys on the front. Um, I, I got that from, 
Lessons from a Screenplay, which is an amazing YouTube series about screenwriting mm -hmm. that is very, very useful for authors. And I learn something every episode. And he highly recommend, recommended John Truby. So I bought the book and tried it out. And it is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's all this because screenwriters, they have such a tougher job than novelists. I mean, we yeah. get like 100,000 words to tell a story. Right. They get they get like a couple thousand, you know, mm -hmm. they do not get a lot of room. Right. And so they have, they have learned, they have got this down to a science mm -hmm. of how to get good story out in the fewest moves possible. And it's some true masterwork stuff that you can learn from them and then apply to your own works. And I'm a big fan of taking knowledge from many places. Mm -hmm. Um, because they're writing isn't the only way to tell stories, you know, comic artists, manga artists, video games, movies, all television shows, all of these things are just, just, it's all story. It's all story at the end of the day. And if you can steal tricks from other mediums and bring them to writing, mm -hmm. not only will you probably have a really fantastic book, but you'll come off looking really smart and like you mm -hmm. came up with something brilliant. And uh, when you're, so, you know, steal for the best. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. I, I just heard Neil Gaiman talking about how, you know, they're asking what, what, what should we read? And he said, you know, if you're writing, fantasy or children's books or whatever he says write something totally opposite read nonfiction. read history read you know it's it's there's, there's something how that infuses your writing and it's so different i mean good writing can be just good writing um how about any uh must-see tv or film that you recommend oh well if you're an anime fan i am currently hopelessly in love with a film uh, a series called shokugeki which is food wars and it's basically an incredibly dramatic in, an incredibly dramatic, um, I guess like a kingdom drama, but it's all about food. <laughs> and it's about this boy who goes to this insane culinary school and where food is your – cooking is your weapon. Cooking is your <laughs> like your skill. And cooking is the only thing that matters. And it is one of the most – and it sounds insane and it looks insane. And there's a lot of gratuitous nudity warning up front. But it is one of the best written – most amazingly inventive shows that I've ever seen in my life. And I just cannot say enough about it. It is phenomenal. I just, I'm watching the third season right now as it comes out and it is so good. So how, how do you, how do you spell that? Um, let me see. S H O U show K U G E K I, I believe. Okay. Right. But it if you just type, Food Wars and oh, okay. Google, Food you Wars. should find okay. it. It's super popular. Perfect. I also um, and um, I also a huge fan of Great British Bake Off, uh, which has nothing to do with writing. But again, sometimes you like to get away. And a thing I love about Great British Great British Bake Off is that everyone is so nice. These are all all people who are doing their best for something they love. Mm -hmm. And even when they don't win, they're genuinely happy mm -hmm. for the people who do. And uh, out of every – I don't know why, but it reminds me of writing a lot in the writing community because one of the things that I really love about being a writer is that we're not in competition with each other. Mm -hmm. My competition is myself. Right. I can – only I can write better books than me. You know, I, I am the wall I have to beat. Um, if someone else writes a fantastic book, if Alona Andrews is writing amazing books, which she does, by the mm -hmm. way, amazing books, I don't lose sales because she's amazing. Right. People read her books and say, what's next? And then they buy my books because she recommended me once and mm -hmm. I still get sales from that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how, you know, writers recommending writers and uh, writers pointing other, pointing other writers at other books because readers read faster than we will ever be able to produce. Right. I have, re I have readers who read a book I wrote in a year and a day, you know, and they're like, where's the next one? I'm like, 
well, I'm working on it. And <laughs> so that. I love that. Great. It's funny you said about the bake, the bake off show. Cause I've actually heard, had that recommendation a few times. So, um, so I need to good. check it out. It's so adorable. Any, uh, any software you recommend, um, on any level, it doesn't have to be related to writing, but Scrivener. Okay. Scrivener. If you're not using Scrivener, you hate yourself. Um, you're a writer. It, it's, it's ridiculous. I love it. I recommend it to everyone. Um, they don't pay me. I just love them so much. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I, I could not do what I do without them, especially mm-hmm. if you are indie Scrivener. It yep. is the only writing program out there that is worth a damn. And it, it mm-hmm. is phenomenal. I know I've heard, I had a lot of pushback. Like people, you know, I use Scrivener, but you know, saying the learning curve, I, I just don't think, I mean, you can, yeah, go crazy no, with no, no, it no, no, no. for the basic stuff. It's really not that hard to use. You I mean, don't have, it has like so many features. You don't have to use any of yeah, them. I use right. maybe 10% of Scrivener's. Right. Oh yeah. You just open a project, start yeah. tippity typing. Oh man. And, it, uh, and it's, it's so good. Yeah, I use it for everything now. I mean, just any project. I it's just amazing. Anyway, um, so uh, here's how we close the show. We call it three truths. So you find yourself you're wandering in a fantasy world. There, you're slaying dragons. Um, you're rescuing princesses and princes, and then you find a live microphone piped out to the universe, to the writing universe, and you want to share three truths, three writerly truths uh, that they must have in their toolbox for writers. What would they be? Um, there are no writing police. There's, there's no one. If you want to write a story, write it. There's no one who can tell you no. no. Love that. All that matters is that it's good. That's the only thing that matters. There are, there are so many ideas that sound really stupid, mm-hmm. but any idea can be a good book if you pull it off well. Mm-hmm. So there are no writing police. That's number one. <laughs> number two, I already, already said this. It's, uh, it's late for six months. It's bad forever. Never put out work you're not proud of. Because that's the work the world the world will judge you by. Mm-hmm. So always put out your best work, and it doesn't matter if it takes a long time. So long as when you do put it out, it is the best you are currently capable of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say three is have fun. Mm-hmm. If writing feels like pulling teeth, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. This is creation. This is the you're making up worlds. You're being a god. <laughs> It should be insanely enjoyable. If mm-hmm. you are not having fun in your daily writing, if you're not really enjoying it, stop. What are you doing to yourself? Don't do that. <laughs> Figure out how to make your book what you want it to be, how to make it how to make it sweep you up. You are the first right reader of your own work. Mm-hmm. And if you are not happy with it, then something is wrong. Stop and figure out what that is. Like I I actually I have this kind of weird, almost um, vaguely religious belief that the writing knows what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. And that if you are having – if you cannot make a scene work, that is something in your head. That's something in your subconscious putting the brakes mm-hmm. down and saying, stop, stop, don't do this. And so stop. Figure it out. There's a problem. Mm-hmm. So if you're not enjoying your writing – and obviously if you're writing incredibly depressing stories, you're not going to have you – know, you're not going to be like, this is so awesome. <laughs> but it, it should move something in you. You should feel that momentum. Good writing. Good writing has weight and momentum like a rock rolling down a hill. Mm-hmm. If you're not getting that, then something wrong That's and you good. need to just stop and figure out. Maybe it's your character. Maybe there's no tension, mm-hmm. but you've just got to figure it out or you will never be able to get yourself to where you want to be. That's great. I love that. Uh, so where should people start with uh, Rachel Aaron? They want to get introduced to your books, to your world. Uh, where do they start? Where can they find you? RachelAaron.net. That is my website. It has everything I've ever written. It's got my blog. 
It's got links to reviews and all my interviews. All my interviews, I've, I've done a lot of interviews, and mm-hmm. they're all up. So if you liked this, there's a lot more. Awesome. You can listen to me talk forever. <laughs> uh, and that is Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, dot net. Perfect. And well, um, you can also find me on Twitter, and that's linked off the website as well. Wonderful. Well, Rachel, this has been an absolute privilege and honor. You have helped so many people today, and I'm so glad for you. Happy for you. All your success. Uh, the 2K to 10K, fantastic book. Go check it out. Go check out all our fiction. You're going to love it. And uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Well, there you have it. Prolific writer nation, Rachel Aaron, dropping some serious writerly love on us. 2k to 10k fantastic interview thank you rachel for coming by go check out her books you can find her on the interwebs i will put all that in the show notes she is not hard to, to find rachel aaron.com uh, i believe or it might be net but check out the show notes go check out her book go check out 2k to 10k if you want to learn how to fi- write fast write often write well that's the book you need it's a huge encouragement it doesn't matter if you're a uh, you know a plotter if you're a discovery writer, somewhere in between, this book can really, really help you. And, and really, I just love the way she talks about production and thinking about how long does it take you to put a book together and having those things in mind as you do your work, as you write your books and produce those and, and get those out into the world. And that's the goal. We want to we want to see your books out into the world because you have a message to share. So, hey, as we wrap up the show today, as I, as I typically do, hey, leave a review on iTunes if you get a chance. We'd love to have your feedback. It helps get the show out in the world or SoundCloud or Stitcher, wherever you listen to this, this show. And thank you for all the nice comments. It, it really is great. And also check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Ryan J. Pelton. You can get some more information, some behind the scenes stuff and ways you can support the show. And, uh, and I hope you guys are doing well. Hope you're cranking on the National Novel Writing Month. And I have just one thing I need to say before you go is get those words down. I'll talk to you real, real soon.